Well, it's a new year. Yeah. And we usually kick it off each year. I've been here 28 years and we've done this every time. We'll kick it off by revisiting because we forget. We'll kick it off by revisiting some of our, what we call the eight big rocks that our church stands on. What are the core values? What's most important? Why? Because if you're not careful, you can be all over the place. These big rocks help us focus and they help us set priorities as to what we should be doing and not doing. And so we're going to revisit two of them today. The first is the big rock of God's sovereignty. This will change your life. It changed my life in 1986 when I began to hear teaching about this. I grew up in the church, but I was not taught the sovereignty of God. Our church, this is a huge rock that makes a big, big difference. So I want to highlight it today. The sovereignty of God, that God is in control of how many things? All things. And to help you get a hold of that, what I'm doing simply on this big rock today is I want to highlight and recommend, oh my goodness, I read a lot of books, but I write in the front of books, fantastic, amazing, that's what this got. This is a fantastic new book by Nancy Lee DeMoss. She's a great Bible teacher, and it's titled Heaven Rules. The subtitle, Take Courage, Take Comfort, Our God is in control. And what she does is she bases the book on a study of the book of Daniel, one of my favorite Bible characters. This is great. And today we have copies at all three campuses. You could get a hold of one and take it home with you. I know for a lot of you, this is not a new big rock. We've been talking about this since 1995 when I first got here. But for some of you, it might be a new doctrine or You know, we were waving around forever, Jerry Bridges, trusting God, even when life hurts. Woo, if you haven't read that, start there. He did a 10-year study, you guys. For 10 years, he studied what does the Bible say about the sovereignty of God and put it in that book. I've read that book three times. We've been waving that around forever, but if you're new to this doctrine or you just want some fresh teaching that would help put into perspective our suffering our confusion and the chaos of this world and frame it up, frame it up in the sovereignty of God. I can't recommend this new book highly enough. The second big rock I want to emphasize, I'm going to take a little longer on. I want to emphasize heartfelt, engaging worship. We're a church that sings. We're a church that thinks singing is important. We're a church that did not provide a special room for men that don't like to sing. I have, a, I have pastor friends that do that. They give in to that. And there's a special cafe for men who don't like to sing. And they just mill around and sip coffee and skip all the singing. And then the sermon comes on. We ain't going to do that for you here. Men or women. There's a reason the Bible talks about this. And we're going to dig into it. And so to get a hold of this one, I'm actually going to kick off a short sermon series where we're going to try to find out. Because here's what matters. What does the Bible say? about why our worship should be, you ready? Heartfelt, engaging, passionate, participatory, rather than passive and disinterested. Right? I was a worship leader for 10 years. I used to be shocked by some of the faces while I'm leading worship. 
Like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? Why should it be heartfelt, engaging, passionate, participatory, rather than casual, laid back, disinterested? And it's not, you know, sometimes we're guilty of, well, preference. You know, it's just not my... The Bible actually has a lot to say about worship. A lot. And oh, here's the thing. When you go to the Bible to look up worship and see what it's supposed to be like, you'll see a picture of worship that is high octane, active, passionate, engaging, rather than passive. And so we're going to dig into the Bible in the weeks ahead and let God's word answer that question for us. What should it look like? What should our worship be like? But if you're still pushing back and thinking, but Brad, why does it have to be so passionate and participatory? What's the big deal? You ready? It's a big deal, you guys, because worship is all about God. And God's a big deal. God's a big deal. In other words, here's what I want you to understand. Do you realize worship? Worship is our response back to God for all he's done, all he is doing, and all he has promised yet to do. So get a hold of this. We never start anything with God. Do you realize we never start We're always responding to God because God is always revealing, on the move, active. He's always saving, rescuing, comforting. He's always moving. And so all we do is respond back. So worship by definition is our response to God for all we're seeing of who he is and what He's done, stay with me, for us. Now that final little prepositional phrase, two little words for us, is really important. Really important. For us, all that he's done for us. See, here's the deal. When it's personal, it will be passionate because it happened to you. He saved you. He rescued you. He delivered you from the darkness, kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. He made you alive when you were dead in trespasses of sin. He gave you a robe of righteousness. He adopted you as a son or daughter. He set you free from bondage to sin and Satan. And right now is preparing for you a place that eye has never seen and ear has never heard. It's passionate when it's personal. When it's personal and you know him, and you know what he's done for you, it'll be passionate. But I have to add this caveat, because some of you might be sitting there thinking, I remember when it was passionate, but I had hair. And it was the first couple years after I got saved, but something's happened. So let me add this caveat. When it's personal, and you have not gotten Over it, it will stay passionate for a lifetime. That's the challenge, you guys, right? How do you keep from getting over it? What started off passionate can become passive through the years as you're pummeled by life 
at all that's going on. Everything right here just screams and pulls you down, screams and pulls you down, screams and overwhelms and pulls you down. It was passionate. And it's just gone quiet and passive as you've just been pummeled by life. So how do you keep from getting over it? I'm going to say something I've never said in 28 years. You've got to read. Oh, wait a minute. Have I said that? You got to read your Bible. Oh, when I hear people say, well, I don't read it anymore because I read it. Got it. I don't read the Bible just to get new information. I give, I read the Bible every day, every year to keep the information that used to sound exciting, still exciting. Do you realize that? This is what you got. You take truth and you put it right on the front burner of your life. When you read it again, God by his spirit can light that truth and keep it lit and passionate. You don't just keep reading it to see something new. I do see new things every year. I keep reading it to make sure old truth stays passionate in my life. There's a reason when you read the Bible, praise God, there's not four books of Leviticus, right? Oh, what's the only thing we get four of? Four books that show you who, say it. Jesus, Matthew, I'm going to see him again and his compassion and his kindness, what he said, what he did. And when he gave his life for me and rose again, and I'm like, okay. And the Holy Spirit said, not okay. Now Mark, see it again. Now Luke, see it again. Now John, see it again. And in Isaiah 53, I'll see him just beaten to the point he didn't look like a human being for me. And it says God's wrath was poured out on him for me. You keep from getting over the truth by reading the truth and worshiping with the truth every day through his word, by his spirit, through his word, by his spirit, through his word. So when you say, oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. If you want to stay passionate, if you want to have perspective, if you want to be focused on the right things, if you want to know how to respond to life, You've got to keep the truths of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's yet promised to do, alive and real, because all that starts to just shift into cold storage. You don't become an atheist. You don't say, oh, I don't believe that anymore. You just don't feel it anymore. And when you don't feel it, it doesn't affect how you, because do we feel other things? Oh, dear me. Last, Last week, I'm doing the budget, and I saw... Some insurance company charged me $2,225. I felt it. I was like, what in the world? I had feelings. It was like uh, Vicky's insurance that I bought for her, $500,000 that I'd get if she died, is done. I I paid for it through 60 years old. I thought, I don't need $500,000 when I'm 60 if she dies. And they automatically re-enrolled me at the price of what it would be now. Made me so mad, I felt a lot of things (laughs) that I can't say out loud. Because I said I didn't want it. I didn't want it. And then when I tried to call them, like, we have to talk to her. Oh, please, you're making me mad. It was like, oh, we feel stuff. You guys, I want to keep feeling for the truth of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's promised yet to do. That's when you act. That's when you move. That's when it affects and impacts your life. 
And so here's my first point, number one. Real worship starts with a personal salvation story. Oh, real worship. Real worship starts. You're not even on a path of real worship until you've been saved, until he's rescued you, until Jesus is in your life. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh, you have been a worshiper since you popped out of the womb. We are worshipers by nature. We want to make much of something. We want to wrap our lives around something. We want to connect with something bigger that matters. We want to know why am I here? What should, but we wrap it around our image and our health. We wrap it around a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We put it in success and achievement and and career and marketplace. We put it in pleasures. We put it in money and what it can do and how it makes me look. Oh, we worship, 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 worship all kinds of things. It's just misdirected and misplaced worship. And the Bible calls it, what's the word for worshiping the wrong stuff? Idolatry. Idolatry. But every person sitting at every campus today is a worshiper. I'm telling you, real worship to God for who he is and what he's done doesn't even start until you have a salvation Story And that right there is the biggest problem that some of you face. That's a problem some of you face. When we gather together, here's what's going on. You're watching other people respond to someone you don't know for something you don't have. And so you kind of think, that's really weird. Why are they so into this? I don't get it. Let me help you a minute. You might not get it because you don't yet have it in your own life. You might not get it because you don't even have it in your own life. It's not personal for you. It never happened to you. You don't have a story. Greg Gilbert in his excellent book, What is the Gospel? Says this, quote, an emaciated gospel leads to emaciated worship. It lowers our eyes from God to self and cheapens what God has accomplished for us in Christ. The biblical gospel, by contrast, is like fuel in the furnace of worship. Oh, listen to this, you guys. The more you understand about it. You realize I keep reveling in the gospel. I keep delighting in the gospel. I pick it up like a glorious gym and I turn it in the light. I look at all of its cuts and colors and character. You realize gospel is a simple word with dozens of facets. The gospel means that I've been ransomed. The gospel means I've been adopted. The gospel means I have an inheritance that can't be shaken or taken. The gospel means I have direct access to his throne. The gospel. There's all kinds of implications. And when you continue to understand it, the more you understand it, believe it, and rely on it, the more you adore God, both for who he is and for what he's done for us in Christ. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, Paul cried. You realize Paul erupts with that at Romans eleven thirty three. Do you know why? Because he just wrote 11 chapters about the gospel. 
It's only in chapter 12 that it, quote, gets practical. You know, always like, make it practical. Well, he took 11 chapters before he said, now be renewed in your mind. Therefore, here's the implications. But it was worth unpacking for 11 chapters. What does it mean that he saved us? And when he, when he was done doing that, before he ever said, let's get practical, he said, let's worship. He just erupted. Oh, oh. You see Paul do it all through his letters. He just can't traffic in gospel truth and not erupt with praise and worship. Oh, oh. The depth of the riches and wisdom. It was because his heart was full of the gospel. Guess what? Some of you have not experienced the power of the gospel for yourself. And so you don't understand it. And you see no reason for passionate, heartfelt, responsive worship back to God. See, if all you have, and there's a huge difference, if all you have is religion, you'll still be self-focused and exhausted. Because religion is about all that I'm trying to do for God to earn his favor. I'm on this path trying to do the right stuff. You're, You're still focused on you and you're exhausted. There's no reason for praise and worship. In fact, you feel a little edgy towards God that he demands so much and he makes this so hard. And oh, people run from religion. That's why people who grew up in church sometimes say, I want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. As I talk with Catholics in our area, especially, they'll just say, all I ever felt was guilt and exhaustion. Guilt and exhaustion. Guilt, that's religion, my friend. When all you have is religion, you will be self-focused and exhausted. But when you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, that you received freely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Woo! You are God-focused and you are ready to celebrate and praise him for what he's done in his son. This, this is focused on what God has done. This is focused on what you're trying to do. Two very different paths, exhaustion, celebration. So let me ask you, we're headed into a new year. Please don't keep just doing the same things you've been doing, thinking the same things you've been thinking if it's not going well. What do you have in your life? What do you have in your life today? Do you know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you been forgiven, born again, set free? Know that you have a righteousness that's not your own, that you have direct access to his throne, that he sings over you, that he loves you, that he delights in you, that he's for you. Have you given him your life? That's what this entails, you guys. It's not just a set of facts and say, I believe that. Have you given him your life so that Christ now lives in you and through you? When you do, you'll start talking like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. This is bonus. If you want to jot it down, it's not in your bulletin. 
Paul said this. This is what a relationship with God through his son looks like versus religion. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives where? In me. And the life I now live in the flesh. So I'm still in the flesh. I have to get up and live a real life with a real sinful body and a broken world. But the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Oh, two glorious things. Who loved me and gave himself for. When you wake up every day knowing somebody loves me. Desperately gave his life for me and gave. Oh, so many people want something from you. They want something from you. They expect something from you. Here's what you need to do, what you need to do. That's not our savior. He loves you and he gave himself for you. When that grips you and you know it, you live differently. You live differently. You're grateful and you're worshipful. You're grateful and you're worshipful. You're grateful and you're worshipful and it puts everything else into perspective. What do you have? Let me show you what I'm talking about with the Apostle Paul himself, his personal testimony. His personal testimony reflects this. Jump to 1 Timothy chapter one. I hope you have a Bible. We're gonna use them again this year. We're not done with the Bible. First Timothy chapter one. This is Paul's personal testimony. Listen to this. I thank. Notice when you have salvation and a relationship, you just got gratitude, gratitude. Grat- I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now watch this. I hear it all the time as a pastor, as I try to offer the free gift of salvation. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've done. There's no way. There's no way I'm a candidate for Christianity. Take heart. I doubt your awful life exceeds what Paul had done. You ready? Though formerly I was a blasphemer. You realize he had blasphemed God. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He railed against the church, tried to crush the church, went around dragging men and women out of their homes to put them in prison. This is what this guy had done. Persecutor, an insolent opponent. The word insolent means extremely rude and disrespectful. You're like, you don't know the things I've said about God and Christianity. Insolent opponent. A fantastic word. Say it. But. But, but in the face of all that, I received mercy. Notice, I didn't earn it. I didn't find a way to get there. I didn't find the right formula. I didn't work hard. He is passive in this moment. But I received mercy. You realize when Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, he was not just beginning a seeker Bible study with a Christian friend, saying, I'm having doubts about the way I'm living Maybe I should consider Jesus and Christianity. What was he doing? He was on the road to Damascus with letters in his hand that gave him authority to persecute Christians there. He said, I've done all I can in Jerusalem. I'm gonna get up to Damascus and I'm gonna do it there. And so how did he get saved? God knocked him to the ground and said, Paul, Paul. 
he realizes God saved him. And any of you sitting here, you need to get a hold of that too. He saved you. The only reason it made sense to you, the only reason you responded, the only reason it sounded like good news, the only reason that Jesus was beautiful to you is the Holy Spirit turned the lights on. God showed mercy and had grace on you. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world. Now, right here, we're going to find out who can get saved. Who's in the category of, I mean, God could save. We tend to think, oh, that, not that person and not me, not that person. He's going to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save, say it, say it louder. Say it with a hiss. Sinners. Raise your hand. Sinners. And then he tells you, because we tend to think, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm an itty-bitty sinner with little bitty sins. Well, first, that's not true. But, but anyway, if you want to play that game, Paul says of sinners, and where is it in that lump? Where is he in the pile? Of whom I am foremost. And God saved him. You are not beyond the reach of Almighty God. You will not have done something that makes you irredeemable. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Oh, verse 16, the word but again. But I received mercy for this reason. Now, here's what's really cool. He actually tells you, I believe God saved me as bad as I was. So that forevermore in the future of mankind, I would be an example to anyone that says, I don't know if I could get saved. God wouldn't save me. I want it to be that he saved me so you can know he will save you. For this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. For eternal life. There's exhibit A. Horrific, awful, rude, insolent, blaspheming sinner. And God saved him. He'll save you. He'll save you. He'll save you. And then Paul does the same thing he did in Romans 11. He throws down his little quill pen. And he says, to the king of ages. Oh, immortal, invisible God only be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now get this. Paul is writing this letter towards the end of his life. He is writing this 30 years after God saved him. Talking about it still moved him to the point that he erupted in a doxology of praise and worship. He never got over. He never got over. He never got over. It happened to him. It was personal. And so he stayed passionate. He stayed passionate all the way to the end. Ooh, to the king eternal, immortal. So now I want to take you back to the Bible. And let's dig into some of the components of worship. We'll, we'll unpack some of it over the next couple of weeks. We'll dig into some of the components of heartfelt, engaging, passionate 
worship. What does the Bible say about it? And we're going to start with singing today. See, number two, real worship has always included singing. Don't make a mistake, you guys. It's not like, oh, the church began to sing when we had pianos and organ. Oh, the church began to sing when they built cathedrals in the 1600s and needed a choir to rock it with the acoustics there. Singing has not been added at some point in history. Real worship has always included singing. Christianity, among all the world religions, is a singing religion. We're going to dig into why a little later in the message. You realize Islam does not even believe in singing? Christianity is a, I mean, they moan and they wail, but they don't sing. Why? They don't have anything to sing about. You're never sure you've done enough for this fearful, awesome, scary Allah. They don't call him father and they don't sing. We have a father and when you know that you know him through his son, you sing. Singing has been included from the very beginning. Did you know even at the very beginning of time, singing, singing has been one of the best and most appropriate responses to all that God's done. Remember we're saying worship is response to who God is and what he's done. Right at the very beginning in creation, there was singing. The book of Job tells us that at the dawn of creation, in the very beginning, singing and shouting for joy erupted. Erupted as God flung the stars into place. Listen to God himself talk in Job 38. This is God talking. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God's not beyond sarcasm here, you guys. He's kind of putting us in our place. You think you know so much and you're always like, what about, what about, what about, what about? He's like, let me tell you all kinds of things you don't understand. Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? You realize what he's talking about? At the very moment of creation, There was a response of worship and singing and shouting when God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And a mass of dark confusion exploded into the complexity of a glorious universe. Chaos went to cosmos. And when it happened, there was singing and shouting. And so here's the question. Who is doing this singing and shouting. Morning stars and sons of God, you guys, are references to angels who could not help themselves, you guys, because when you see God at work, you can't watch God at work and say, eh, whatever. You can't watch God at work. They couldn't help themselves. The angels sang and shouted for joy as God tossed the complexity of this universe into place with nothing more than his all 
powerful spoken word. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. And there was, and there was worship in response to it. From the very beginning, very beginning. And get this. Sometimes we have these preferences. I go sometimes places to teach and I so wish they wouldn't do it. They make everybody get really quiet and just sit real still. They say, won't you get real quiet and sit still before we begin worship? And it almost just kills everything. Now here, and if you're saying, yeah, but that, you don't see that in scripture. You guys, every time in the Bible it gets quiet, God's about to judge That's the only place you see it in Revelation. Check it out. When it gets really quiet, he's about to pour out some bowls of wrath. When God is on the move and we're about to celebrate who he is and what he's done, it's loud. Really? And some of you are like, I don't like loud. Well, you won't like heaven. (laughs) It's going to be loud. It's like, sorry. It's like, oh. And I guarantee you it was louder than anything you've heard at Rupp Arena for Kentucky basketball Because the book of Revelation, when it peels back the veil and gives us a glimpse of what's going on in the presence of Almighty God, it uses the word loud 21 times. You ever made a note of that? Loud singing. Someone said something and the voice was like thunder. Someone sang something and it was loud. Someone did something and it was loud. The thresholds and the doorpost shook as the seraphim and cherubim said, Hope. They didn't say, Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. No, they didn't. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is filled with his glory and the doorpost trembled and shook. So here's my pushback to your pushback. If you're like, but, 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 why does it have to be passionate and loud? There are more than 50 different words used in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, 50 different words that are used in reference to praise and singing. And one of them is Tehillah. Not tequila, that'll get you singing loud. (laughs) Tehillah, Tehillah. And literally the word means a loud song of praise for the honor and glory do his name. Notice the connection. There's something he's worth. He's worthy of it. He deserves it. You got to do this. A loud song of praise for the glory and honor that's due his name. But if you're thinking, why loud? Let me help you because it kind of bugs me how people do this big disconnect for worship and God and the gospel and Jesus and spiritual truth that's not like even what sometimes they do in the rest of their life. Saying, why does it have to be loud, you guys, would be like be say, saying, why does it get loud in the Bengal stadium? Nobody goes around asking that. That'd be stupid. Why is it loud in Rupp Arena? Why is it loud at an Elton John concert? Let me tell you why. It's loud because the crowd is passionate about what that person's doing and they respond. They love that ball that was just shot. They love that ball that was just kicked. They love that song he's singing. They're loud. The crowd gets loud in response to that person, that event, because they're passionate about it. Gotcha. 
You're kind of like, well, this, that's not my, this is me wide open. And yet that same person, sometimes I see them come out of their seat when someone takes a punt all the way back 98 yards. Come out of their seat when someone hits a three-point jump shot. <gasps> Nobody has to say, scream, get loud. That was pretty amazing. You care. You care. You love it. You're invested in it. And so you're loud. 21 times in the book of Revelation, loud for what God is doing, for who God is. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet on a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, Tehillah, to our God, a loud song of praise. Why? Oh, you guys. When you know you were in a horrible pit and you could not get out on your own, when you know you were bogged down, ensnared, entangled, and mired in your own stupidity and sin and confusion, when you know you had nothing stable to stand on and he lifted you out of a pit and he set your feet on a rock, that new song will be loud. Tehillah to our God. I could have never done that. I'd still be in the pit. I'd still be ensnared. I'd still have nothing stable. But now my life stands on a rock and I've been rescued. Tehillah, new song of praise to our God. And you'll have it for a lifetime if you keep from getting over it. If you keep it on the front burner, if you continue to revisit it and let it put into perspective everything else. That's why Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord. How often? When? At all times. His, here's the word Tehillah, his Tehillah, his loud song of praise shall continually be in my mouth. But if you're saying, Brad, I just don't really like singing and I don't care about music that much. Oh, I can help you. Ready? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. How much of it? All of it. Because there are 575 references in the Bible, old and new, to praise, singing, music, praise, singing, music, praise, singing, music, So it's not optional or some kind of personal preference where you can say, I'll take Christianity, thank you, but I'll just pass on all that singing. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. The people of God, when you read your Bible, the people of God responding back to God for what he's doing is seen all through the scriptures. We start with the angels at creation and then when people are created, people start doing it. You think about it, I just read it the other day because I've started back over and I'm in Exodus reading my Bible this year. The Israelites did not stand on the shore and watch Egyptian soldiers and chariots and horses washed up on the shore and say, wow, okay, pretty cool. Oh my goodness, Miriam got a tambourine and her and a bunch of women started hopping around. Yes, you can dance. You don't have to grind and pump. You can dance 
for the glory of God. And they led the Israelites in singing a song and dancing because God had saved them when their backs were against the Red Sea and they had no hope and God intervened, parted the Red Sea and then closed it over the Egyptians. When you see something like that, you'll sing and shout and dance. That's what they did. The Israelites sang. Mary, Mary sang when the angel visited her and said, you are chosen to birth the Messiah, our Savior. She sang. We call it the Magnificat. She sang. She didn't just say, wow. She sang. You realize human beings, there's something about singing. When something truly moves us, we'd rather sing it than say it. It's powerful. She sang. Oh, get this even. In the book of Acts, you'll see the early Christians when they gathered together after they'd been threatened and beaten and told, do not ever speak the name of Jesus again. They gathered to pray and sing and thank God for the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus. They sang. And when you jump all the way to the end, to Revelation 15, you will see in the book of Revelation how they sing a victory song, victory song, when God makes all things right, all things right. When we are most excited, singing expresses it best. We don't just say it, we sing it. I played high school in football. We only won every now and then, so it was a pretty big deal, mainly because our mascot was the beavers, Carnes beavers. What a bad idea. But oh my goodness, I'll never forget Woo! when we were riding the team bus home after an away game where we had crushed an opponent on their home field. Oh, every time, all the time, no matter how cold it was outside, as we got close to our campus, we would roll down the windows and begin to sing because we knew girlfriends and parents and faculty are going to be cheering and waiting for us. And what do you think we sang? Mighty Beavers. Not Mighty Beavers, no. <laughs> we sang that Queen song. We are the champions, my friend. Because we're one in nine now. We just won for the first time. But nonetheless, <laughs> whoo! Oh, my goodness. We would be hanging out the window and singing that Queen song. You guys... Revelation 15 gives us a song that's not about us. It's not about us. And so it's bigger and better than anything Queen could sing because it's all about God and what he will have done to fulfill at that point all his promises and to make all things right. And so they don't just say it. They sing it. Go to Revelation 15 and look at it with me. They sing it. Revelation 15, beginning in verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be the sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. We're going to sing about the salvation the Lamb of God gave us. And here's what they're going to sing. 
Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Singing from the very beginning has been the response of creation and God's people to what God is doing. But I want to press a little bit before we close. Since we're talking about singing, a couple of points of confusion. Let me help you see something that people get confused about. Number three, singing is a choice that can lead to a new feeling. Too often we think, oh, I'm going to sing when there's something to sing about. Of course, there's times that I just feel like singing. There's other times I don't, so I won't. Ooh, let me help you. That can't be the case, you guys, or there would not be 300. Do you realize there's 300 commands in the Bible to sing? Commanded to sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. God knows that singing doesn't just express how we feel. You ready? It can change how we feel. That's why... The worst thing you could do is say, oh, I didn't come to church on Sunday because I, I just had such a bad week. I just didn't feel like I could enter into worship. That's the very thing you need. Come, come, join in. You can sing your way into a new feeling and attitude. Singing is powerful, powerful, powerful. God knows something about singing that we fail to understand. He knows that singing is a powerful way. You ready? to drive truth home to our heart. The truth about God can be driven home to our heart through singing. When your feeling and circumstances are overwhelming you. Go to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, and let me show you this. Oh, I want you to see something that maybe you've never connected before. Colossians chapter three, beginning of verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. All right, wouldn't we all love that? And yet you're like, I just don't have it. I'd like to have the peace of Christ. I wish you had more peace. Well, he doesn't stop there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at me a minute. These two things are connected. The peace of Christ ruling in your heart is absolutely connected to the word of God dwelling in your heart. Not just superficially, not just tacked on the outside, richly or deeply. So now he's gonna go on and tell you, how would I get his word down deep in my heart that would begin to produce greater peace in my heart? He's gonna tell us, teaching. Here you are. I worked hard on this message, so I don't want you to hear this doesn't matter. You can be helped by good teaching of God's word, and I hope you are, but he doesn't stop there. Teaching, I lost my place. And admonishing, oh, this is so cool. We're the church that doesn't just gather on Sundays to teach, but we'll get together with people one-on-one to counsel God's word. You realize that word admonishing 
is the word nutheteo that means to counsel or come alongside someone who's struggling to help them remember God's truth and how they would put it into practice in their life. Teaching, admonishing one-on-one, but he's still not done. How do you get God's word down in your heart deeply to have the peace of Christ? Teaching, counseling, oh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. If you want the peace of Christ to rule in you, you will have to have the word of God down in you. And sometimes singing is the best way to get it down in there. You sing it in, you sing it in, you sing it in, you sing it in. Because I'm sure you're just like me. There are times when I am so overwhelmed, I struggle to even focus and read sentences. It's one of the hardest things about being shattered or overwhelmed. But I can sing. You know the tune. You know the song. You know the word. And I can sing. And here's what I do. I sing out loud. Sometimes I pray out loud and I sing out loud. Because I can't do two things at once. I can't keep worrying and shutting down and blowing up and sing at the same time. So I sing out loud. And I will lift my hands and I will sing my way to a new place. Believing the truths that I'm singing about when I struggle to even focus. Sing it down in to your heart. A few years ago, a woman in our church who had suffered the death of her young daughter, oh, that's hard. And then she continued to live with horrible pain. Stuff that doctors can't quite figure out. First it was hearing, then other things. Just ongoing, debilitating suffering and pain. And she sent me this email and I have her permission to read some of it. She said, quote, you know most of the trials and suffering we've been through over the past years. Well, today I absolutely didn't want to worship. I wanted to lay in bed, medicate, and sleep. I want to be out of pain, and sometimes it feels like I can't worship unless I'm not in pain. So I sat on the couch and prayed. Now, this reaches back to last week's sermon where it's okay to just groan. And the Holy Spirit will take that groan to his throne. Listen to what she said. So I sat on the couch and prayed. Okay, it was more like I cried and blubbered some sounds. But he knew and he gave me grace. And no, I didn't feel better. But I did make the choice to get up and go to church. Praying the whole way, Lord, sustain me. As the singing started... It was like it was made for me to personally praise him. Listen to what she says. My mind cleared of myself for a moment. And oh, the floodgates opened. My heart was overwhelmed with how amazing our God is. Song after song after song. And so I wanted you to know how great it is to be part of a church family where I can come broken in pain and just cry. But also I love how worship takes my eyes off myself and reveals what my heart really needs. When I'm suffering, praise is often a sacrifice and joy that is difficult to choose, but oh, so worth it. Did I leave feeling better and miraculously healed? No, but I did leave content, 
satisfied spiritually well with fresh hope and a desire to glorify him even more. Of course, I still pray that the Lord would heal me, but my heart is leaping with joy today knowing my biggest problem has been solved. Thank you, Jesus. And it didn't hurt my feelings. She literally says, and the sermon was okay that day too. That does not hurt my feelings, you guys. Do you realize God can minister to you more powerfully, perhaps during a certain song that Sunday? We are singing truth and we are preaching truth and both are powerful. I don't, know, I don't care how God ministers to you, but that's why we carefully think through songs that have good biblical words and then we study to preach biblical sermons and then we prep to counsel using God's word, teaching, admonishing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Finally, let me add one more point quickly. Number four, singing can clarify and amplify the truth you say you believe. You realize what we're up against, guys, is not this year you've decided you don't believe in the deity of Christ, don't believe in the resurrection, don't believe in heaven, don't believe in hell. That's not what happens. Guess what happens? All those truths just get quiet and fuzzy. Quiet. You realize quiet truth and fuzzy truth doesn't impact you or help you like it should. How do you keep the truth clarified and amplified? Often singing is what can do it. I love Sam Storms. He's an excellent Bible teacher and pastor, and he says this about music. Music has a peculiar power. Music infuses words with a dynamic energy that merely speaking them could never achieve. Singing evokes an intensity of mind and spirit. It opens the door to ideas, feelings, and affections that otherwise might have remained forever imprisoned in the depths of one's heart. Singing gives focus and clarity to what words alone often make fuzzy. Nothing else can do for me what music does. It bathes otherwise arid ideas in refreshing waters. It empowers my wandering mind to concentrate with energetic intensity. When I'm really struggling, and I've been through a stretch, the end of last year was was pretty hard. I take my little JBL speaker in the bathroom Because otherwise, as I wake up and I'm shaving, I'm just thinking horrible thoughts. Horrible thoughts. Hopeless thoughts. Dark thoughts. What can keep me? And I can keep saying, I don't want to think that. I don't want to think that. You know what keeps me from thinking that? I turn that thing on and I pick out great songs. Great songs. And I choose to go with what? And by the time I get out of the shower, I'm feeling better because I'm thinking better. And it helped me take truth down into my heart. And I start my day with a little more peace of Christ because I have the word of God in me. All you guys, we worship. We are a singing people because we have something to sing about. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for calling us and informing us and guiding us to not just teach it, to not just counsel it, but to sing it. Would you change us as we choose to hold on to all we say we believe and keep it on the front burner of our lives? We pray in Christ's name.
Amen.